Well, good morning. Good morning, guys. Good morning. I hope you're doing well on this Sunday morning and uh, things are going well for you as uh, we prepare for another week. And uh, we start off that with the first day of the week today and the Word of God in our life because we know it's so important. I hope I hope you had a great uh, Thanksgiving day. Boom, 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 boom. Happy Thanksgiving day. It's a week late, but you know. Hope you had a great week of love and hearts and candy and chocolate and all the good stuff. Well, we're, we're talking about our God of wonders and um, we're tying our God of wonders together with some core values. And today we're going to share our last core value. And then next week we're going to move on to a totally different series called Buckle Up, Buckle Up. Uh, and um developing that. I hope that's going to be amazing as well and uh, some good stuff from God's Word to encourage us and to challenge us and to push us and motivate us and to remind us that we are living on a planet that has been taken over by the enemy. And the truth of God is the only thing, the only compass that we really have to keep us on the right path. God's truth in a world that is being bombarded by so much information and so many other thinkings and theories and thoughts. The truth of God's word is the only hope we have to stay on the narrow path that leads to life. And so we're going to be talking about buckle up, buckling up. But today our goal, our goal in our series here has been uh, a couple things. One, to be like wowed by the wonder of God and encouraged by his, his amazing greatness, God's greatness, the wonder of God in the world and in his word. And everywhere we look, we see the wonder of God. Amazing stuff. But secondly, that we would be encouraged by his wonder ourselves and, and live an inspired life for God, right? That we would live lives that would matter. We'd be encouraged to, 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 to take the high road when others are taking whatever road they can take. And third, that we would then impact the world. That we, because we've been impacted by the wonder of God, we'd go out and we would impact the world around us for the Lord in a powerful, powerful, powerful way. And so we're talking about, first of all, the wonder of God in the world. And we've looked at a lot of different crazy things about the wonder of God in the world. We see all kinds of cool things in the wonder of God in the world. And now we're looking at it through the lens of our core values as well. We've talked about teaching. We've talked about belonging. We've talked about prayer. We've talked about the Bible. And today, the last one, number five, we're going to see the wonder of God in adventure. In adventure, in our sense of adventure, this sense of adventure that God put in all of us, like every one of us have this sense of, of adventure. Now, we may have lost that sense of adventure or it may like be real light or dim or, or, or we're just too busy to uh, even have that opportunity to have a sense of adventure. But God placed that in us at birth. We have this sense of wonder in us. And I wonder, I wonder today, how much of that sense of, of wonder and, and adventure do, do we really have left? Do we have, you know, you know, 
you know, that pull, that pulling <laughs> sensation toward something crazy, toward the unknown, or that stimulating of our curiosity, or that battle between should I? <laughs> I better not. I got to get up and go to work tomorrow. Right? That sense of adventure that God gave us, that he put in us, tends to uh, wean away as we get older. Webster says adventure is an undertaking usually involving danger and unknown risk. <laughs> that's, that's adventure right there. Okay? It's not playing it safe. That's not adventure. That's boring, right? It's an exciting or remarkable experience. That is what adventure is. And I wonder when was the last time that, that you went on an adventure, that we went out and did something wild and crazy and risky. I'm not talking sinful. I'm just talking out there, risky, fun adventurous, just something that would be adventurous, like an out of the ordinary experience. Remember when you were a kid, like as children, we had that sense of adventure, right? We, we, we did that. I remember all kinds of adventures when I was a kid and as I was getting older through high school even cross-country skiing in the Rockies like hiking through the woods with my buddies down the creek and and through the woods and in the mountains and the Adirondacks and and, and camping out in the trees and the by the by the streams and doing just just out there fun crazy adventurous things mission trips like as I got older, going on mission trips to uh, foreign places, getting up and coming to church sometimes is, a, is an adventure, right? See, what we really need is to get that sense of adventure back in our life. We need it back in us, that, that feeling that you have when the adrenaline is rushing through your body, uh, if you're cliff uh, diving or, or the risk of an ice, ice skating on a frozen pond that could possibly break and you are going to get wet. Or the scare of being in an alley or a country totally unknown or the dark unknown of cra cr crawling around in a cave in the, in the, in the hills and the rocks of Arkansas. Like we need that sense of of adventure back. We have got to keep it if we've lost it. And if it's gone away, we need to get it back. Like the blood rushing, mind blowing, heart pounding feeling that you get when you're on an adventure that's full of risk and a bit dangerous. Why should this guy get all the fun, right? Why should he have all the fun? See, it's one of the reasons we like, I think, the big screen. We like going to movies or we like renting movies or we have Netflix, right? Because we like watching adventure movies. We like watching these movies. We love adventure. And the closest thing we can get sometimes is just sit down and watch a movie, right? Because they touch our sense of adventure and they flood our minds with risk and curiosity. And... <laughs> We don't have to get off the couch. We can lay in the comfort. It's kind of like 
COVID church these days, right? We can lay in the comfort of our living room or basement or bedroom and just watch it. We got our bucket of popcorn and we got our big gold. Let the adventure begin, right? The problem is it's not our adventure. It's somebody else's adventure. And we unknowingly exchange the real adventure for a Hollywood version, which is why the great technology of our day in many ways is a criminal. Our technology is robbing us of our own experiences and our own adventures. It's why Jesus, right, this, this, we can watch it on the big screen stuff, but it's why Jesus says things like, unless you become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. You know why Jesus says that? It's because as we become adults, we get stuck. We forget our sense of adventure. We're, we're too like intellectual and children who are so innocent and they're just learning. Their eyes are wide open, right? They, 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 they live dangerously. They climb up on the couch. I remember breaking my collarbone twice when I was a kid growing up. Why? Because I was doing stupid, yes, crazy things. Cut my body up, stitches all over the place, dog bites, bee stings, you know, just because as a kid, we're out there doing stuff, living dangerously, but living adventurous with wide eyes. If you are around children, if you have grandkids, you see them, they're, they're up on the Ford and they're, they're playing their pirate game. You know, they're pirates today, they're soldiers tomorrow. And uh, watch, watch how your kids react when you take the iPad away these days, right? I mean, if you want to fight, you just take the iPad away from your kid or you tell them, time's up, no more iPad. Why? Because the iPad is now robbing them at such a young age of their sense of adventure. And I wonder, the wonder of God that he gave to you and to me is, is an amazing sense of adventure that he instilled in us at birth. The bad news is that most of us as adults have left our sense of adventure in our childhood. The good news is that Jesus came to revive it. He came to set our life on fire again, to rekindle a love, not just for him and for following him, but for following him wherever he leads us and every one of us in a different place. You know, we used to sing the old hymn, where he leads me, I will follow. Where he leads me, I will follow. I'll go with him all the way. But I'm afraid we have confused a couple songs and now we sing, where he leads me, I'll stay right here in my pew, safe and secure from all alarm. And so I hope in 2022, this very year, as we are now in February, the year's already moving. 
that we'll make some decisions, that we will want to be recharged and rekindled and sent out joyfully serving our God on our very own great adventure into the world. That we will grab the hand of God and we will walk with Jesus wherever Jesus leads us. You know, we see the wonder of God in the world in adventures all over the place. We watch it on TV, right? National Treasure, Indiana Jones, The Wizard of Oz, Pirates of the Caribbean, Star Wars, Lord of the Rings, Back to the Future. Because in all of us, there is this natural sense of adventure. It's put in us by our creative and adventurous God. And sadly, the light of adventure has gone out for many. Let's let God fire back up that sense of adventure in our life. Let's let God rekindle that in us this year. But we're going to need to ask God, God, create in me that sense of adventure again, that I will take some risks, that I will live life on the edge at times, especially for you, God. We see the wonder of God in the world. In adventure. But secondly, we see the wonder of God in his word. In his word. See, our natural sense of adventure should lead us, should lead us to the greatest mission that life could ever hand us. Right? In our quest to live the great adventure, we must come to realize that the greatest adventure ever it's not Mount Everest. It's not bungee jumping, rock climbing, or hang gliding. The greatest adventure in life is to follow Jesus. Is to give Jesus your life, your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength, everything that you are, and follow him into the great unknown. That is a great, great Adventure, And I hope as we talk about the adventure of God or the wonder of God in his word in these, these next moments, that I hope the word of God will grab hold of our hearts, stir us up, and leave us more adventurous than we were 15 minutes ago or a half hour ago. Right? To be used by God for his purposes, like for his eternal purposes, for things that are greater than anything on this earth. No gold medal in the Olympics, as awesome as that could be, even comes close to following Jesus in this world. When you consider all the career choices that one could make, when you consider all the adventures that you could ever go on, the greatest one, the very greatest adventure in the end of all things, when you leave this world and you look back, it won't be rock climbing or skiing, it will be following Jesus in a world that isn't. That is going to be the greatest adventure, and it is the greatest adventure. It's greater than anything else on this earth. So, so let me, uh, let me, let's take a look at uh, Jesus' adventure. I want to look at Jesus' adventure and hope that it will help us in our adventure. I stir some things up in us. And there's really three things that I want to say uh, that we're going to touch on here this morning. That is this. Just three things. Number one, his adventure led to death. 
Number two, his adventure was for you. And number three, or three, his adventure lives in us. Okay, so number one, number one, here we go. His adventure would lead to death. Now, first of all, we got to understand that this truth that his adventure led to his death is, is huge. It is the greatest truth that there is. That Jesus came to this earth and died on a cross for you. The act of God, the huge truth that the greatest act of God ever was that he would pour out his life for, for mankind. No greater love has anyone than to lay your life down for a friend. See, it's a beautiful thing in every way, but it's, it's not what we would call a great selling point, right? I mean, think about it. Hey, come follow Jesus. By the way, pick up your cross and let's follow him. We're, we're probably going to get mocked. We're going to get laughed at. We're going to get called all kinds of names like intolerant, bigots, exclusionists. And it might get a little messy. It might get a little bloody. And some of that blood might be yours. But climb on. Let's go. Let's go follow Jesus. Say, it's not the greatest selling point in the world, is it? That Jesus came to die. That his life, his adventure would lead to death. But that's just the truth. That's just the truth because we live in a world that has been taken over by the God of this age, who is the devil, the evil one. See, for Jesus, the adventure went like this. He spent three years traveling about, teaching, healing, displaying his power, displaying his authority. He knew, he knew that his time was short. He knew that death was knocking on his door from the moment he started his ministry. To Jesus, it was no surprise the fact was, he came to die, and he knew it. Hebrews, the Hebrew writer writes, but he was pierced, oh, but he has appeared once for all at the culmination of the ages to do away with sin by the sacrifice of himself. Just as people are destined to die once and after that to face judgment, so Christ was sacrificed once to take away sins, the sins of many, and he will appear a second time not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. See, he came, he came on an adventure. Jesus came on his adventure from heaven to do his father's work. And Jesus knew what that meant. He understood that his adventure would lead to death because he was coming into a world of darkness, a world that had been taken over by evil. He came to do away with sin. He came to sacrifice himself. And he's going to appear a second time, the scripture says, not to bear sin, but to bring salvation for all who are waiting on him. Although it may have come as some surprise to the disciples, the apostles, it, it may have caught them off guard, some 
it was no shock to Jesus. It wasn't like Jesus got to the end of his three-year ministry and then the father revealed to him that he was going to die and he now had to, buy, he had to re realize that. He, he knew all along that he had come to pay for the sins of the world and he understood what that meant. That meant Isaac and Abraham, right, going up onto the mountain and I, Abraham is going to sacrifice his son Isaac on an altar because God told him to. But at the last minute, God is going to say, Abraham, don't harm the boy. See, Jesus, know, Jesus knows what happened with Abraham. And he knows that, that God the Father spared Isaac from that death. But Jesus also knew that he was going to go up on a hill and he was not going to be relieved of sparing, of, of sacrificing himself for the sins of the world. He knew what it meant when he came to do his father's work. And he began to prepare his disciples along the way, right? A number of times Jesus began to show them or teach them that he must go up to Jerusalem and that he was going to suffer many things. He said to them, the son of man must be lifted up. And, and the Last Supper, the Last Supper should have erased any doubt in their minds as he took bread and as he took the juice, the, the fruit of the vine, and he said, my body will be broken and my blood will be spilled out for the sins of many. See, the wonder, the wonder of the word is that Jesus came on this exciting, risky, unselfish adventure to die. He was born to die for you and for me, for the sins of all mankind. His adventure would lead him to death. Secondly, his adventure was for you. His adventure was for you and for me. He did it all for us. The very climax of Jesus's mission to earth was to pay the penalty for sin. And not just the sins of anybody, but the sin of me and the sins of you. Jesus came to, to pay the penalty for my sin, personally, me. He had me in mind. He has you in mind. He, yes, he died for the sins of the world, but he died for each and every one of us personally. Only death could lift the curse that God said would be on us if we ate from the tree and if we sinned. And so all of mankind is under the curse. We hear about the wrath of God and that sin has a price and that the wages of sin is death, spiritual death, not just physical death, and that the soul who sins must die. The soul who sins cannot be in the presence of God, must be separated from God for all of eternity because God is a holy God. And sinners cannot come in the presence of a holy God. And our sin has separated us from him. We hear about these things. God is always true to his word. Sin had to be dealt with. And like sin came into the world through one man, the punishment for sin could only be dealt with by a perfect, sinless human being. The Old Testament blood 
of the bulls and the goats could never satisfy this debt of sin. All those animals' sufferings and offerings only pointed to the fact that a sacrifice would be demanded. But humanity had a huge problem. Mankind had a huge dilemma. In all of our efforts, we could not come up with enough knowledge, enough offerings, enough animal blood to erase the sin of our soul. Not one human being could meet those requirements. No, not one. No, not one. No person, no man, no woman, no one met the requirements of a perfect, sinless life that could, that could take on the sins of the world. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The scripture says there is no one righteous. All have turned away. And for a long period of time, there was only darkness, deep sadness, and great sorrow and lostness. The world was under a cloud of death. And John the Revelator gives us this beautiful glimpse into our dilemma. In, in, in Revelations chapter 5, such a cool passage of the dilemma of man and the glory of God. Check this out. John writes, he says, chapter 5, verse 1, Then I saw in the right hand of, who, of him who sat on the throne a scroll with writing on both sides and sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, Who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside. I wept and wept because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll and look inside. You see, it's a moment of truth. It's the destiny of man in, is in the balances. All of our future is in the balances at this moment with John in Revelations chapter 5. And there's this scroll. There's this scroll that records what's next for mankind's future. And an angel of the Lord proclaims, who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? But no one, no one is worthy to open it. Not one human being that has ever lived has the authority or the honor to open the scroll. And so the only thing John could do was weep and weep. With great sorrow, John wept. When it seems there's no hope and that we are doomed, John is left weeping in this beautiful scene of the throne room. 
Remember now, remember, it's John and he's having this vision, it's revelation, and he's seeing all kinds of things. He's seeing different scenes and different things that God is showing him that he is to write down, right? And in this scene, he's seeing the throne room of God, and there's the throne of God, and there's this one throne, and it's in the middle, right? And there's one person or somebody or something that is seated on this throne, and his appearance is like Jasper and Carnelian, and there's this rainbow that encircles the throne. It's an amazing picture. It's got to be the most blind, uh, mind-blowing thing that John has ever seen. And in his right hand, as that one that sat on the throne, is this scroll. And John can see that there is writing on both sides of the scroll that is rolled up. And, and the scroll is sealed with seven seals. Seven seals. Not the aquatic mammal seals and not the navy ones either. But seven seals that are tightly binding somehow this scroll that has seven layers to it. You kind of figure that out as you read on in chapter 6. And surrounding that throne are 24 other thrones around the one throne. And on those 24 thrones are the elders. The elders. Who are the elders? They're wearing white. And they have this crown of gold on their head. But who are these elders is a good question, right? Who are these elders? Some would suggest that they're angelic beings in heaven that John has seen, but, but they're wearing white robes and they have crowns on their heads. So that doesn't really apply to angels. Some believe that these are the patriarchs of old that are on these 24 thrones in heaven. Others say it's the 12 apostles and it's the 12 tribes from the Old Testament. 24 sitting on the throne doesn't really matter who the 24 are it's important people that have lived in the past no doubt probably the patriarchs of old but there is John at the throne and he's weeping and he's weeping because there's the throne and it holds the future but nobody 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 not even the elders are are worthy of opening the scroll and then one of the elders said to John do not weep. John, do not weep. See the lion of Judah, or see the lion of the tribe of Judah. The root of David has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seals. See, to the rescue steps in the one who is worthy. The one who came from Judah. He is the lion of Judah. He is the root of David. And he is the only person that fits the description that John is seeing of the one who is able to open the scroll. His description describes the Messiah. It is the Christ. It is Jesus himself. And he alone is worthy to open that scroll. And he alone is the one who paid the debt for all man's sin. He alone is able to save those who completely put their faith and trust in him. He is the lamb that was slain. And his adventure to the cross was for you, was for you and for me. You know, the Apostle Paul confirms uh, this 
that Jesus is the savior of the, the world and the only one. In Philippians chapter two, when Paul writes, he's talking about having the same mind as Jesus. Like as we live on this earth, as we live on our adventure, we're to have the same mind as Jesus to put other people first, to love like Jesus loved. But then he goes on to say, who be in very nature God, Jesus, who be in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. He didn't hang on to his equality with God. He let it go. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking on the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found as in the appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And so God sends his only son to earth to be fully human, to live a sinless life, to die for the sins of the world, to satisfy the demand of God's wrath, and to reconcile man back to God. And he meets all of the requirements that are necessary to be the Savior of the world, to be the Messiah, to be the Christ. And he satisfies the debt for all mankind. See, only Jesus demonstrates the ability to pull this off. And only Jesus, by his blood, are you and I justified to God? His adventure was to die. His adventure was for you. And third, his adventure lives in us. His adventure continues in you and me. See, after his death and his burial and his resurrection, Jesus appeared to hundreds of people, showing them that he had risen from the dead and that he truly was the Son of God. He was exactly who he said he was the whole time. The mission that he came to initiate, he gave to his followers. He passed it on like a baton to his followers and to all who would follow after them, the apostles, right? And he calls you and he calls me to his great adventure. He calls us to the greatest adventure by calling us to his great adventure. And at the end of the gospels, Matthew 28, he says these words, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, Jesus. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Look, our adventure, our adventure is not about what God was going to do to provide the Messiah, or to, to provide the Christ, or to provide the Savior, right? Or to provide purification for sin. Jesus accomplished all that once and for all. 
The entire Old Testament sets the stage for God's great move toward redemption. The New Testament shows us exactly how God completed it in his son Jesus. The sin of all humanity has been dealt with. The adventure to save mankind is accomplished by grace. You and I are saved by our faith in what God has accomplished through his son. But our great mission, our great mission, our very, very great mission is to go and share the, the love and the truth of what God has done with everyone. Share what the Lord has done for us with the rest of the world. Take the wonder of God and go share the wonder of God with the world. We are to take this message of God's love to the streets, to the streets, to the highways and the byways and to our workplaces. And wherever we go, always mindful of looking for the opportunity to share the love of God as we adventure with Jesus in our world every day. See, like Peter, like Peter, we are to go and preach the good news. Right? And when the people ask, what must we do to come back to God? We tell them, we tell them, repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Acts chapter 2. And we're to be like Peter and John, who went about doing good in public places. And when the people ask them why, and when the people ask them how, you tell them, it is by the name of Jesus that you do what you do. Acts chapter 3 and 4. And we should be like Stephen. You know, you live a godly life among the world and among the people, that a life that God can use. And when people question you and desire to stone you, you tell them the story of God and all that he has done for us. Like we see in Acts chapter 7. And later on in Acts chapter 10, Peter at Cornelius' house, right? He's talking about Jesus, right? He's referring back to Jesus, to the Gentiles that are going to be led into the kingdom of God for the first time. And he says how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power and how Jesus went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. God was with Jesus on his adventure. And Jesus went about doing good. Carrying the good news of God's love to the world. He went about doing good. And we know that you and I were created in Christ Jesus to do good works. That is our purpose in Christ is to go about doing good works, the, to carry on the mission adventure of doing good. And so many others that we could talk about. So many others who jumped in into the great adventure with God, right? Abel and Enoch and Noah and Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph and Moses. 
Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah and David and Samuel and all of the prophets, right? Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi, all of these and so many more. More than we have time to talk about and more that will ever be written about. So many who jumped into the great adventure with God. And these in, in Hebrews 11, this is how their adventure went. God speaks of their incredible adventure who through faith, these heroes of old, people just like you and me that grabbed onto the great adventure with God, who through faith, they conquered kingdoms. They administered justice and gained what was promised who shut the mouths of lions, who quenched the fury of the flames, escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned to strength, who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. Women received back their dead, raised to life again. There were others who were tortured, refusing to be released so that they may gain an even better resurrection. Some faced jeers, some floggings, and even chains and imprisonment. They were put to death by stoning. They were sawed in two. They were killed by the sword. They went about in sheepskin and goatskin and destitute, persecuted and mistreated. The world, this planet, was not worthy of these great adventurers. They wandered in deserts and mountains, living in caves and holes in the ground. In no way did they live a boring, uneventful life. They maintained their sense of adventure as they followed God in the world. But one full of risk, one surrounded by danger, living in obedience to God in a world of disobedience. This was their adventure. And Hebrews 11 ends like this. These, they just got done talking about all of those patriarchs of old and prophets of old, all those people who lived out their faith in God on this great adventure with the Lord. They were all commended for their faith. They were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised. They were pointing to a thing or to an event or to a time, to a person that would come years later, thousands of years later, a couple thousand years later in some cases. They were referring to and pointing to the Christ, the Messiah, that would one day come way out there. All of the Old Testament was pointing to the Messiah that would come to die on this cross in his adventure. And so they were commended for their faith in God and their obedience to God, but they never saw the promise. They never were able to see that in their lifetime. Since God, look at this, since God had planned something better for us so that only together with us would they be made complete. Oh, that's saying a lot to you and me today, you guys. I mean, that's a mouthful. That's, that's a heavy responsibility right here. They were commended for living their adventure. None of them saw the fulfillment of the promise. God's plan was that their adventure and your adventure 
would be connected as one adventure. One big adventure. And that they would only be made complete by you and by me. By us getting involved in God's great adventure. And their perfection would only be reached together with us. Oh, for an adventure like theirs. Oh, that we would have an adventure anywhere close to theirs. That we would not lose our sense of adventure, but we would quickly get it back. We would let Jesus rekindle it in us so that we can get busy truly living life to the full. God has called you to live out a great adventure. He lived the adventure all the way to the cross. He came to die at the end of his adventure. He did it all for you. He did it all for me. And now Jesus, Jesus's adventure lives in us. It is being carried out by those who jump in say yes to God, who say, God, I need you as my Lord and Savior of my life. Wash me clean, God. Forgive me of my sins and use me for your glory. That's how you start the great adventure. I hope you'll do that. If you're already on the adventure, I hope you'll step it up. You'll find ways to let go of the things of the world and find more to do for the kingdom of God. And you will walk on a great adventure with God. And one day when you look back, it will be the only thing that really matters. God bless you guys. Have a great, great day.